Chapter Two of the Mystery of the Four Fingers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mystery of the Four Fingers by Fred M. White. Chapter Two The First Finger. Gurdon waited for his companion to go on. It was a boast of his that he had exhausted most of the sensations of life, and that he never allowed anything to astonish him. All the same, he was astonished now, and surprised beyond words. For the last twenty-five years, on and off, he had known Venner. Indeed, there had been few secrets between them since the day when they had come down from Oxford together. From time to time, during his wanderings, Venner had written to his old chum a fairly complete account of his adventures. During the last three years, the letters had been meagre and far between, and at their meeting a few days ago, Gurdon had noticed a reticence in the manner of his old chum that he had not seen before. He waited now, naturally enough, for the other to give some explanation of his extraordinary statement. But Venner appeared to have forgotten all about Gurdon. He sat there, shielding one side of his face, heedless of the attentions of the waiter, who proffered him food from time to time. "'Is that all you are going to tell me?' Gurdon asked at length. "'Upon my word, I am very sorry,' Venner said. "'But you will excuse me if I say nothing more at present. You can imagine what a shock this has been to me.' "'Of course.' I don't wish to be impertinent, old chap, but I presume that there has been some little misunderstanding. Not in the least. There has been no misunderstanding whatever. I honestly believe that the woman over yonder is still just as passionately fond of me as I am of her. As you know, Gurdon, I never was much of a ladies' man. In fact, you fellows at Oxford used to chafe at me because I was so ill at ease in the society of women. Usually a man like myself falls in love but once in his lifetime, and then never changes. At any rate, that is my case. I worship the ground that girl walks upon. I would have given up my life cheerfully for her. I would do so now if I could save her a moment's pain. You think, perhaps, that she saw me when she came in here tonight. That is where you have got the impression that there is some misunderstanding between us. You talk just now of dramatic surprises. I should show you one even beyond your powers of imagination if I chose. What would you say if I told you that three years ago I became the husband of that beautiful girl yonder? and that from half an hour after the ceremony till the present moment I have never set eyes on her again. "'It seems almost incredible,' Gurdon exclaimed. "'Yes, I suppose it does. But it is absolutely a fact all the same. I can't tell you here the romance of my life. I couldn't do it in surroundings like these. We will go on to your rooms presently, and then I will make a clean breast of the whole thing to you. You may be disposed to laugh at me for a sentimentalist, but I should like to stay here a little longer, if it is only now and again to hear a word or two from her lips. If you will push those flowers across between me and the light, I shall be quite secure from observation. I think that will do. But you don't mean to tell me, Gurdon murmured, that the lady in question is the daughter of that picturesque-looking old ruffian, Mark Fenwick. Of course she isn't, Venner said with great contempt. What the connection is between them, I cannot say. What strange fate links them together is as much a mystery to me as it is to you. I do not like it, but I let it pass, feeling so sure of Vera's innocence and integrity. But the waiter will tell us. Here, waiter, is the lady dining over there with Mr. Fenwick, his daughter, or not? Certainly, sir, the waiter responded. That is Miss Fenwick. There was silence for a moment or two between the two friends. Venner appeared to be deeply immersed in his own thoughts while Gurdon's eyes travelled quickly between the table where the millionaire sat and the deep armchair in which the invalid lay huddled. 
and Venner now saw that the cripple on the opposite side of the room was regarding Fenwick and his companion with the intentness of a cat watching a mouse. Dinner had now come pretty well to an end, and the coffee and liqueurs were going round. A cup was placed before Fenwick, who turned to one of the waiters with a quick order, which the latter hastened to obey. The order was given so clearly that Gurdon could hear distinctly what it was. He had asked for a light, wherewith to burn the glass of curacao, which he intended to take, foreign fashion, in his coffee. "'And don't forget to bring me a wooden match,' he commanded. "'Household matches. Last night one of your men brought me a vesta.' The waiter hurried off to execute his commission, but his intention was anticipated by another waiter, who had apparently been doing nothing and hanging about in the background. The second waiter was a small, lithe man, with beady black eyes and curly hair. For some reason or other, Gurdon noticed him particularly. Then he saw a strange thing happen. The little waiter with the snaky hair glanced swiftly across the room in the direction of the cripple huddled up in the armchair. Just as if he had been waiting for a signal, the invalid stretched out one of his long arms and laid his finger significantly on the tiny silver box he had deposited on the table some little time before. The small waiter went across the room and deliberately lifted the silver box from the table. He then walked briskly across to where the millionaire was seated, placed the box close to his elbow, and vanished. He seemed to fairly race down the room until he was lost in a pile of palms which masked the door. Gurdon followed all this with the deepest possible interest. Venner sat there, apparently lost to all sense of his surroundings. His head was on his hands, and his mind apparently far away. Therefore, Gurdon was left entirely to himself, to study the strange things that were going on around him. His whole attention was now concentrated upon Fenwick, who presently tilted his glass of curacao dexterously into his coffee-cup, and then stretched out his hand for the silver match-box by his side. He was still talking to his companion, while he fumbled for a match, without looking at the little case in his hand. Suddenly he ceased to speak, his black eyes riveted on the box. It fell from his fingers, as if it had contained some poisonous insect, and he rose to his feet with a sudden scream that could be heard all over the room. There was a quick hush in the conversation, and every head was turned in the direction of the millionaire's table. Practically every diner there knew who the man with the yellow head was, so that the startling interruption was all the more unexpected. Once again the frightened cry rang out, and then Fenwick stood, gazing with horrified eyes and white, ghastly face at the innocent-looking little box on the table. "'Who brought this here?' he screamed. "'Bring that waiter here! Find him at once! Find him at once, I say! A little man with beady eyes and hair like rat's tails!' The head waiter bustled up, full of importance, but it was all in vain that he asked for some explanation of what had happened. All Fenwick could do was to stand there, gesticulating and calling aloud for the production of the erring waiter. "'But I assure you, sir,' the head-waiter said, "'we have no waiter here who answers to the description of the man you mention. They are all here now, every waiter who has entered the room to-night. If you will be so good as to pick out the one who has offended you—' Fenwick's startled, bloodshot eyes ranged slowly over the array of waiters which had been gathered for his inspection round his table. Presently he shook his head with an impatient gesture. "'I tell you, he is not here,' he cried. The man is not here. He is quite small, with very queer black hair. The head-waiter was equally positive in his assurance. Louder rose the angry voice of the millionaire, till at length Venner was aroused from his reverie, and looked up to Gurdon to know what was going on. 
the latter explained as far as possible not omitting to describe the strange matter of the silver box venner smiled with an air of a man who could say a great deal if he chose it is all part of the program he said that will come in my story later on but what puzzles me is where that handsome cripple comes in the mystery deepens by this time fenwick's protestations had grown weaker he seemed to ramble on in a mixture of english and portuguese which was exceedingly puzzling to the head waiter who still was utterly in the dark as to the cause of the offence most of the diners had gathered round the millionaire's table with polite curiosity and sundry offers of assistance i think we had better get back to our room a sweet gentle voice said as the tall fair girl by fenwick's side rose and moved in the direction of the door it was perhaps unfortunate that venner had risen at the same time as he strode from his own table he came face to face with the girl who stood there watching him with something like pain in her blue eyes for an instant she staggered back and apparently would have fallen had not venner placed his arm about her waist in the strange confusion caused by the unexpected disturbance nobody had noticed this besides gurdon who promptly rose to the occasion you had better take the lady as far as her own rooms he said this business has evidently been too much for her meanwhile i will see what i can do for mr fenwick venner shot his friend a glance of gratitude he did not hesitate for a moment he saw that the girl by his side was quite incapable of offering any objections for the present in his own strong masterful way he drew the girl's hand under his arm and fairly dragged her from the room into the comparative silence and seclusion of the corridor beyond which way do we go he asked the grand staircase the girl replied faintly it is on the first floor but you must not come with me you must come no further it would be madness for him to know that we are together he will not come just yet venner replied my friend knows something of my story and he will do his best to give us five minutes together you have heard me speak of jim gurdon before but it is madness the girl whispered you know how dangerous it is oh gerald what must you think of me when i swear to you that i think nothing of you that is unkind or ungenerous venner protested by a cruel stroke of fate we were parted at the very moment when our happiness seemed most complete why you left me in the strange way you did i have never yet learned in your letter to me you told me you were bound to act as you did and i believed you implicitly how many men in similar circumstances would have behaved as i did how many men would have gone on honouring a wife who betrayed her husband as you betrayed me and yet as i stand here at this moment looking into your eyes i feel certain that you are the same sweet and innocent girl who did me the happiness to become my wife the beautiful face quivered and the blue eyes filled with tears her trembling hand lay on venner's arm for a moment then he caught the girl to his side and kissed her passionately i thank you for those words she whispered from the bottom of my heart i thank you if you only knew what i have suffered if you only knew the terrible pressure that is put upon me and it seemed to me that i was acting for the best i hoped too that you would go away and forget me that in the course of time i should be nothing more than a memory to you and yet in my heart i always felt that we should meet again is it not strange that we should come together like this i do not see that it is in the least strange venner replied considering that i have been looking for you for the last three years when i found you to-night it was with the greatest difficulty 
that I restrained myself from laying my hands on the man who is the cause of all your misery and suffering. How long has he been passing for an Englishman? Since when has he been a millionaire? If he be a millionaire at all. I cannot tell you, the girl whispered. Really, I do not know. A little time ago we were poor enough. Then suddenly money seemed to come in from all sides. I asked no questions. They would not have been answered if I had, at least not truthfully. And now you really must go. When shall I see you again? Ah, I cannot tell you. For the present you must go on trusting me as implicitly as you have done in the past. Oh, if you only knew how it wrings my heart to have to speak to you like this, when all the time my whole love is for you and you alone. Gerald, ah, go now, go at once. Don't you see that he is coming up the stairs? Venner turned away and slipped down a side corridor, till Fenwick had entered his own room. Then he walked down the stairs again into the dining-room, where a heated discussion was still going on as to the identity of the missing waiter. "'They'll never find him,' Gurdon muttered, "'for the simple reason that the fellow was imported for the occasion, and, in my opinion, was no waiter at all. You will notice also that our crippled friend has vanished. I would give a great deal to know what was in the box that pretty nearly scared the yellow man to death. I never saw a fellow so frightened in my life. He had to fortify himself with two brandies before he could get up to his own room. Gerald, I really must find out what was in that box. "'I think I could tell you,' Venner said with a smile. "'Didn't you tell me that the mysterious waiter fetched it from the table where it had been placed by the handsome cripple?' "'Certainly he did. I saw the signal pass directly. Fenwick asked for a wooden match. That funny little waiter was palpably waiting for the silver box, and as soon as he placed it on Fenwick's table, he discreetly vanished. But, as I said before, I would give considerable to know what was in that box. "'Well, go and see,' Venner said grimly. "'Unless my eyes deceive me, the box is still lying on Fenwick's table. In his fright he forgot all about it, and there isn't a waiter among the whole lot, from the chief downwards, who has a really clear impression of what the offence was. If you take my advice, you will go and have a peep into that box when you get the chance. Don't tell me what you find, because I will guess that.' Gurdon crossed over to the other table, and took the box up in his hand. He pulled the slide out and glanced at the contents with a puzzled expression of face. Then he dropped the box again, and came back to Venner with a look on his face, as if he had been handling something more than usually repulsive. "'You needn't tell me what it is,' Venner said. "'I know quite as well as you do. Inside that box is a dried-up piece of flesh, some three inches long. In other words—' A mummified human forefinger. End of chapter 2